Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Mechanical Inc. podcast. Today, it's a collab with the folks from Chaos Cast. I'm joined by Don, Daniel, and Sean, and uh, we're going to talk all things chaos, but chaos in a positive way. Um, and I don't want to speak too much. Uh, I think you've heard me talk a lot about myself on all the various podcasts I do. Um, Mechanical Inc. was a consultancy. Now it's a podcast studio, and I have a full-time job on the side. Or is it the other way around? I never know. But so Mechanical Inc. Mechanical Inc. Studio. We make three podcasts, and this is one of them. Today's a special one. And I'm going to hand it over to Dawn from Chaos to tell us a little bit more about her and introduce the rest of the folks also. Yeah, sounds good. So welcome to this joint Chaos Cast Mechanical Inc. podcast. So the Chaos Community podcast is where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health. So I am Dawn Foster, along with Skulk, I'll be co-hosting this podcast with you. So I am the Director of Data Science for the Chaos Project. I'm also on the board of Open UK, and I'm co-chair of the CNCF Contributor Strategy Technical Advisory Group. So I do wear a few different hats. And with that, I think, why don't we start by just letting uh, the two panelists uh, in introduce yourself. So starting with Daniel. Hey, uh, this is Daniel, Daniel Izquierdo. Uh, so it's great to have this opportunity to, to talk to you all. Um, so um, yeah, I'm, I've been, uh, I'm one of the co-founders of, of Chaos Community that by the way, stands for Community Health Analytics for Open Source Software. Um, together with some um, and others, of course, and some other universities or companies. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder as well of a small company based in Spain, but uh, working globally with people all around the world called Vitergia, where we do software development analytics. Um, and then I'm the president of the Inner Source Commons Foundation and uh, yeah, part of the governing board, of, of course, at, at, the, at Chaos. And Sean, all yours. And I'm Sean Goggins, as Daniel said, I am also one of the co-founders of the community, currently one of the co-directors with Don. And my, my background is I've been studying open source software since about 2010. I'm a professor of computer science at the University of Missouri and a maintainer of the Augur software package in the Chaos Project. Okay, so thanks for the intros. So Daniel and Sean, you've both been involved in Chaos since the very beginning of the project. Maybe you can tell us more. Let's start not with the software, but let's start with the chaos project itself. So Sean, maybe you can start this time and tell us a little bit more about what the chaos project is and, and what we do. So the chaos project started as a birds of a feather at a Linux Foundation community summit, I think in 2016. And that birds of a feather discussion involved uh, Jesus who is one of Daniel's, I think Daniel's PhD advisor, as well as the, one of the founders of Gaturgia. And the discussion was, how do we understand the health of open source software? And Gaturgia was the only software package doing that at the time. And following that birds of a feather, the discussion of forming a project within the Linux Foundation, the Chaos Project, began. And over the course of the next several months, uh, Grimoire Lab's team agreed to become part of the Chaos Project and move their software in there. And so... Chaos became the 59th project in the Linux Foundation. And I was involved uh, from the beginning with Matt because we were working on another research project together uh, related to open source. And from there, we, we got some money from the Sloan Foundation, who have been uh, dutiful, great benefactors for the community and really enabled the technologies and the software that we're going to talk about today through, through, their, through their support of the work that uh, Matt and I are doing. That's that's kind of the origin story from my perspective, <laughs> and we and we discussed this in the past, uh, Sean, that we should we should give this talk together about the the two lines and then how we meet together and then basically how we are working together now in chaos. Um, a bit a bit more from the Vitoria perspective. So my background is um, academic background. So I did a PhD in empirical software engineering. So the, back in two thousand six, when when I joined the research group called Librasoft started like a, a bit earlier in the 2000. Um, so we needed tools uh, to analyze open source software and basically to, to be able to replicate our own research, right? So then we started to kind of growing a community of researchers and practitioners using using the tools. Um, 
so then over over the years yes we we decided to you know uh, uh start Viterja as a company to provide commercial services on on what we were producing and at some point we we were having as customers who you know linux foundation uh, mozilla foundation wikipedia uh, wikimedia foundation um, and some other basically some of the biggest out there so we started having discussions uh, together as well with the Linux Foundation on what if we start something on, on on health. So this both was one of the very first points where most of the interest people interested people were part of. Um, and then basically from Viterja, we we brought to the discussion all of this kind of accumulated experience of doing research and providing these commercial services, bringing all all the rest of the foundations to join. To join the group, and this is where we are started and formally announced in 2017 in in LA in September during one of the uh, open source summit. And you know, from there, basically, this is history that we all <laughs> know more or less, where we we keep engaging together. Um, and this is kind of the you know the how chaos was born. I have to say, people say naming is hard, but. You all got some super cool names, like Chaos. I, I never knew it stood for Community Health Analytics for Open Source Software. It's like, what? And then Grimoire and Augur. It's like, what? The coolest name. It's like at Boxy HQ where I work, um, they have this one product called Samuel Jackson. And everybody was like, you nailed it. <laughs> and we we're like, yeah, that, we can kind of ride the name now. But you all also have all these freaking cool names for these products. Yeah, chaos. Sometimes we've forgotten what it stands for because we're so enamored with the coolness of the name. So I have to say here, big kudos to Mike Dolan, who works at the Linux Foundation, that while we were working on the charter, the bylaws and everything, he was the one bringing the name. So this was his name indeed, just in case. <laughs> so speaking of the, the names of the tools, so why don't we, why don't we start with just, just kind of an overview of, of each one um, why don't we go ahead and since I started with Sean last time, let's start with Daniel. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about Grimoire Lab. Um, sure. So, um, well, just in case the name of Grimoire is like this place where you can have all of all of the spells, right? So this is this is about this kind of context we can say, and then we have King Arthur, and then we have a Percival and some other tools. So those are part of the names discussion. Uh, then we have Sorting Head, which is coming from Harry Potter. Well, it's a mix of everything, uh, kind of fantasy, we can say, all together to, to make sense for, for Grimoire Lab. Um, so just a really quick introduction on, on Grimoire Lab, what, what it does. Basically, it supports um, 30 plus different data sources of the most useful yeah, use, uh, used uh, data sources across the open source industry. And, and internal developments as well. So we can think of yeah, GitHub.com, but GitHub Enterprise, and then we have GitLab, Lassian Stack, uh, communication channels as main list or Slack, Mattermost. Just to mention some of the tools that are um, heavily used out there. Um, so the tool is is a lot into uh, you know you can deep a lot into a, an ecosystem, what we call an ecosystem, which is an aggregation of of different, a uh, you know, uh, organizations, open source repositories, individuals, an ecosystem can have, or let me use this definition of ecosystem. Um, and then you have each of these tools that are supposed to do, you know, with this unique philosophy of having one tool doing a really good job. So then we try, we try to stick to that. So that's kind of the um, the basics of of Grimoire Lab. So then uh, there is. I mean, from a data perspective, is gathering data, taking care of data, transforming data, and then visualizing data uh, really close to the business of software development analytics. And because we are in Europe, we need to comply with GDPR. So there is a specific area called Sorting Head that is containing all of the personal information in one place. So then it's easy or easier to opt in, opt out, you know, according to the law and, and all of this. So this is kind of the main highlights definition of Grimoire Lab. Okay, Sean, you're up. Tell us about Augur. So, an Augur was was born in uh, January of 2017 after uh, my research team had worked a bit with Grimoire Lab, and we aspired to look at some of the some data that we weren't able to easily get 
and analyze it on a much larger scale than a community manager or even an OSPO at that time. Remember, this is 2017 and OSPOs were hardly a thing back then. So we created Augur with the idea that we would be able to gather not only the basic information that you can get from a Git platform and a Git log, but also a lot of the conversational content uh, and be able to analyze that in place on a scale of tens of thousands of repositories at a time. So that's the idea or the need from which Augur was born was this research need that, that I have as, as a person who works a lot with uh, personally identifiable data to, to be able to know with, with more certainty than I could with Grimoire Lab at the time, uh, what the heritage of the data is, its provenance, um, when it changed online, and, and all the things that a researcher has to describe in a paper. And Augur's gone through, geez, at least three major reconstructions as we've learned things about the various platform APIs. And right now we do host a public instance um, partnering with a tool at the OSS Aspen project called 8Knot that is, uh, has about 80,000 repositories in it right now, and, and we're developing that. So that's kind of where Augur is at a very high level. And hopefully what Augur is was described adequately. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's very interesting that um, there's quite a lot happening in this space. And I think what my thinking is, it's always been interesting, but I think it's becoming more critical now for, I think, people running communities, but then also OSPOs, the whole idea of having to prove your worth, so to speak. And one of the ways to do that is with data, right? Being able to show how an action one somewhere has led to a reaction someplace else and being able to try to kind of draw the line uh, between the two the two places. Um, so there's quite a lot happening in the space, but it's it's super interesting to know about these two projects. Like I've I've heard the word Grimoire Labs before, but I, I had no idea what it was. I've heard Augur and I've played with it a little bit, but I've also not entirely understood what it is. Um, I think for me to just draw a parallel is it feels like it's in the same sandbox as open sourced, who's trying to also pull some analytics. They're very specific um, and they're also going more at the enterprise inner source, but that is not open source based, right? Um, they do have some stuff that's open source, but primarily that is a proprietary platform that is hosted as a SaaS. I'm guessing with both Grimoire and Augur, one has the option to self-host that if you need to. Yeah, I, both 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 of our platforms are self-hosted inside of a number of different organizations. Yeah, and, and well, I, I guess that Augur would be case as well in the case of Grimoire Lab this is so you, you mentioned inner source as internal development so we are uh, big disclaimer here is so there is a tool called Grimoire Lab which is open source that where most of the development in this case is done by Viterja that is the company providing commercial services on on, on Grimoire Lab so the services Viterja Analytics what we call Viterja Analytics and then it contains you know not only the tool uh, installed on-prem or SaaS but uh, other services around around this so yes, uh, the tool can be installed on-prem uh, if that's needed, and not only for open source analysis, but for for internal uh, development as well. Because again, most of the data sources are are quite similar. I assume that Augur can do similar stuff because it's it's again about going to GitHub, uh, you know, repositories and gather that information. So you can do that at the scale internally as well. Yeah, I mean, one one thing that's I think useful for the listener to note is presently. There's a, there's a challenge technically called multi-tenancy, where if I have repositories on GitHub Enterprise and GitHub Public, I need to manage those access points differently because they require different API keys. Grimoire Lab handles that transparently already, so it is well-suited right now for inner source types of projects. Augur has recently recognized through ChaosCon, which just closed at FOSDEM a couple weeks ago, that this is a requirement for a lot of the folks who are starting to use Augur. So this is a problem we have not solved, though we understand how to solve. And we've worked, had a really good conversation with some of the, some of Daniel's team uh, to just talk through solving that, that challenge. So I think when it, when it comes to the inner source question, 
Uh, Grimoire Lab is certainly ready to go today, and Augur has that functionality on its roadmap. Although Grimoire Lab is struggling about other stuff that we can discuss later. Tom, do you want to go ahead? Oh, I was I was just going to add that, you know, one of the things that I I did when I joined the KS full time as the director of data science is I started off with a with a survey because that's what data people do. Right. We ask people questions about data. Um, and unsurprisingly, what we what we learned was that the biggest challenge people have with using our software is um, installing and then maintaining that software. So, so getting it installed in their environment and, and keeping it up and running. So one of the other things that we've been a, a little bit focused on within the Chaos Project, and we're starting to focus more on, is being able to run some of these uh, you know, software as a service, right, for, for other people so they can use some of the hosted instances that we have and they don't necessarily, if they just want to analyze a couple of public repositories or even a large number of public repositories, hopefully they might be able to do that using some of our software as a service offerings. I don't know, Sean, maybe you want to talk a little bit more about some of the things that we're doing in, in that space? Well, we have, there is a publicly hosted instance um, that Paturgia uses, and I can just refer to Daniel on that, which is um, Cauldron. Io. So you can get some information about a repository there. Uh, we also have, uh, in partnership with the 8Knot project, uh, hosted instance of Augur. That's the one that I mentioned earlier that has 80,000 repos in it right now. And that's a dash plotly front end that's available at metrics.chaos.io. Metrics spelled M-E-T-R-I-X, because why wouldn't I misspell something? And so these, these are available for people to poke around with and start to get familiar with what chaos metrics could, could tell your project. I think to Dawn's point though, making it easier to install is important. And I think also uh, providing a richer set of APIs for folks on these public instances will be important for them to be able to consume their data and only their data. Uh, because we all do have to, whether we live in the EU or not, comply with the GDPR. So, that's that's something that uh, is under continuous development. These um, these APIs, so that people can use them. Augur has a graph API that's in development right now. It's uh, actually secretly deployed if you want to try to hack it, but uh, we haven't documented yet because we need to add a tokening system. Ooh, I want to try to hack it. We're going to talk. Yeah, about Yeah, I just invite hackers. Let's <laughs> see if we can crush crush the public Augur instance. Uh, Daniel, do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, about that from the Grimoire Lab side? Oh, you mean in terms of next steps or where where we are going? Or no, in terms of uh, software as a service offerings and or improving the installation process. Mm, okay, so yes, that so the installation process has been a headache for, for Grimoire Lab users for years. Um, uh, we keep consistently. Augur users too. Okay, <laughs> kind kind of trying to to go to go with this. We have improved a lot. I I, I can say so. We have now a Docker, Terraform, all you know, all of these technologies that are helping a lot into these deployment processes. But even though, um, so then let me let me split the conversation into two main areas. One of them is uh, installation or deployment. The other one is about maintenance. Then is uh, and and then both are are hard as as hell sometimes. Uh, even though if, when you grow and grow in, in data sets and, and so on. So the installation process, yeah, there, are, there is certain technology, technology in place, but we, we keep, you know, listening to, our, to, the, to the users of, of Grimoire Lab and, and the, the survey that you ran down was incredibly useful for us to say, okay, this is, this is where we, we can improve or points of improvement for in, the, in the really short term. So that's, that's one thing for the, for the maintenance perspective, that depends a lot into where where this goes. So yeah, Caldron is uh, Caldron.io is one of uh, uh, the free service that is out there. And, well, it's open source and, and free service, so free as in free beer and free as in free speech. Um, but uh, this is kind of you know probably half abandoned. So we have to decide what to do with with the service because there are there are others that are out there that are providing um, yeah, good data and so on. So the question is if if this keeps make, making sense, um, even more if we if we enter into the discussion of offering this service within within chaos, that probably is, is probably the, the, the place to go. 
um, even though uh, so the the service that we are we are running now, you know, wearing the hat of of Viterja, the commercial services is again on prem or SaaS. So we are running everything. And I think everything is, is running uh, actually on, on GCP, can be easily deployed, and so on. The discussion about the maintenance is is way different because if you want to install this on prem, that depends a lot on um, on your own, you know, peculiarities in terms of the you know internal way of dealing with the staff access, security to APIs, and all of these. That typically is a headache when we go through a again a Victoria Hat through a uh, you know, onboarding process and procurement and so on. So that's something that depends a lot on on each of the you know companies or organizations that are willing willing to do this on on their own. For instance, we have we have been recently discussing on on this process with a some folks from from China because we went there. We, you know, we were invited by some folks from Open Euler and and, and others and. Um, they have their own their own problems with the Great Wall, how to access the data, how to import the data through the borders from a legal perspective, how to even have AET's uh, relationship with Europe and and US, even just purely from uh, an open source perspective. But that discussion on private data is quite a uh, sensitive, so that's something to discuss as well, probably. So it's, it's all, all the maintenance discussion is around all of this, not only servers, it's about how to deal with, with the data itself. Just to add to what Daniel noted, that the OSS Compass is a tool that is not a chaos project, uh, but it is adjacent. And the our Asia Pacific Working Group has, has done a good deal of work to build this, I guess, very nice web interface on top of Grimoire Labs data gathering technology that that allows you to see what we've characterized as these metric models in chaos which are collections of metrics that people commonly use together and it's a very beautiful interface and one of the things that we're talking about is potentially standing up a public instance of this and i think there are some there's some technical questions or idiosyncrasies that we're working through right now but but that's another potential piece of hosted chaos software that would sit on top of the Grimoire Lab stack. So was the idea behind, let's say, Augur, because you were talking about really big data sets, uh, Sean, was the idea that Augur would serve as a tool for people doing research into open source to more see data and metrics about the open source ecosystem as big as we can, you can possibly collect? Or was it always that it's that, but it could also be, I'm, I just care about my organization, right? So I have the Boxy HQ organization on GitHub, and I don't care about all the thousands of other repositories. I only want to see information about my 48 repositories. Was the idea always that it will serve both of those purposes or have, has it kind of evolved from the one to the other? The, the answer is both. The people that we that use Augur are interested in their Boxy HQ organization or collection of organizations that comprise their ecosystem. And by working with organizations closely to figure out what they need and what they need from Augur, that has helped Augur get refined in terms of the collection of data, the efficiency of that collection, the parallelism in that collection. So to reach scale and be useful, it's regular feedback from organizations using it for their defined purposes that has enabled Augur to continue. Otherwise, it would be a bunch of researchers building nonsense in a vacuum. <clears throat> from a research perspective, though, yes, the, the, that, that goal has, has remained clear. I think at the very beginning, like if I go back to the first couple of years of chaos, we were really using Augur to try out new things because nobody was relying on it at that point. We could try new things out without risking a customer base. We didn't have the, the challenges associated with having deployed software that people relied on. And so that freedom let us experiment a lot faster in the beginning. And I think some of those experiments are, you know, you could look back at the last five years of chaos software and see them reflected across the board in a lot of different things. And Daniel, how does, um, is the story similar for Grimoire? So in the case of, of Grimoire Lab, I would say the software is really well packed to uh, 
to work with many and diverse set of data sources. So as an example here, let's think for a second in OSPOS, open source program offices, right? Um, so you are a company in telco or banking or so, so you have certain projects that are, or ecosystems that are interesting for you, right? Um, for different reasons. Maybe you want to go into understanding your influence, your impact, your, uh, um, you know, your, uh, we are working competitors analysis. So there are there are many ways you can focus this. So if we if we name some of those technologies, you can think of Open Infra Foundation, and then you can go to CNCF, and then you can think of the Linux kernel, right? So just by mentioning these three, Open Infra is using Git repositories, Garrett for code review, Launchpad for tickets. If we think about the Linux uh, Linux kernel, they are using Git for repositories, but then they are using their own code review process using mailing list. And then if we think about CNCF. Depends mostly on each of the projects, but we can say that they are they have adopted mostly GitHub processes and, and tooling. So just with these three ecosystems, we we have like seven, eight different pieces of data source that if if you want to have this in one place, then you need to make sense of all of this data and have a way to cross-relate all of this data. So Grimoire Lab is basically good at dealing with this. So you have a way where you can aggregate ticketing systems from GitLab or GitHub or Jira or any others. And if not, you, there is a process because it's open source uh, to to add all of these new data sources. So um, that's probably the purpose of Grimoire Lab and, and, and why Grimoire Lab exists. It's about making sense of all of this data and you, and, and to have an, a way of aggregate all of this data. So from a research perspective, it's great because you have a you know a big variety of data sources you can consume. From a more industrial commercial perspective, it's it's good as well because yeah, you you are supporting most of the well-known data sources out there. And you have a way to have a consistent reporting for you, your managers or so internally at the, at the company. Yeah, like I can give you an example because I'm, I'm probably one of the few people who's used both of these tools pretty, pretty extensively. Yes. Um, and <laughs> uh, when, I was at, when I was at VMware, uh, I worked within the open source program office and I, I had four simple metrics that I wanted um, everyone, whether they were a manager, maintainer, anybody working on an open source project to be able to access. And, and the way I did that was I, I used Augur as the, the database on the back end. And then I wrote a bunch of custom Python code to display the data exactly how I wanted it. Because I knew that, you know, busy maintainers, busy managers, um, people who aren't in the day-to-day -day operations of a community, there were very specific things that I wanted them to look at. And I wanted them to be able to interpret it in certain ways. So by using Augur, I had all of this customization that I, I could pretty easily, easily do. Um, but on the other hand, our community manager team uh, within one of the business units actually used Grimoire Lab. So they had community managers who were working on a variety of CNCF projects, um, internal, not internal, but VMware owned open source projects. And they needed to be able to look at every aspect of their community, whether it was in Slack or in issues or in you know, repositories. And they needed to be able to dig into every detail of these communities that they manage. So that team used Grimoire Lab and actually you know, just absolutely loved it. So the, the two from, from our standpoint, and, and there's lots of different use cases. So you can use both of these tools in all sorts of different ways. Um, but that was just an example of personally how we used it at at VMware, how we used both of the tools kind of kind of together, you know, because my my thinking with with the OSPO and using Augur was I, I just wanted them to get started with something. Um, and it was interesting. It did kick off a lot of conversations and it actually kicked off the community manager team using uh, Grimoire Lab for, for their details uh, about their community. And then there were other teams that the conversations um, encouraged them to, to do some of their own data analysis just using you know github apis and, and other other sources so it was, it was interesting these uh these four metrics that i used which we later turned into the starter project health metrics model within the chaos project but these four metrics helped help people kind of get started with metrics and then expand on it from there whether it's using grimoire lab or using other other tools <clears throat> i have another question <laughs> um so excellent uh, both of these can clearly ingest data from different data sources. Um, you've mentioned quite a, quite a few of these. Uh, how 
easy or hard is it to add a new one? Let's say you want to add Codeberg, um, which is like a Git-based, kind of like GitHub, but it's open source, it's independent, it runs, uh, it's a German, folks in Germany running it. So say, for example, you wanted to use Codeberg. Um, does support for that exist today? And if not, how complicated would it be to add support for something like that? Well, that's a million dollar question. I'll just start and Daniel, you can go. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the Git forges or Git platforms, it's relatively straightforward to add something to Augur. Um, we've just, we had GitLab support a long time ago and we went through a major refactor and nobody was asking for it, so it wasn't there, but we just actually released a version today that uh, puts GitLab support back in. And really the, the activity for, uh, the, the software team is simply mapping the meta concepts from one Git platform to another so that they can be stored in the same relational database structure. So even though GitLab, for example, has merge requests and GitHub has pull requests, at the end of the day, these are the same things. They have the same pieces of metadata that they store, and it's a, it's a mapping exercise. So it's not overly complicated from a Forge perspective. When it comes to other sources, uh, where I think Grimoire Lab has a pretty good, rich set, that that is a different question that Augur does not address right now because Grimoire Lab has a tool that if we need to, we would use it. And maybe Daniel can describe just a little bit of some of the, the breadth of data collection that Grimoire Lab supports that, that Augur does not. Um, yeah, so from, from that perspective, the one of the... Um... What I would say is, yeah, going to the schema discussion, that, that's quite important because, yeah, GitHub, GitLab might be similar or are quite similar. Then if we go into other kind of code review processes, they are following their own their own thing. So the, the pull request concept is there, but the process or the iterations or how the limitations that are in each of the tools are way are way different. So how to transform this into something meaningful in, into a SQL schema, for instance, that's hard to do. Um, the way we, if you remember, I mentioned this Unix philosophy that we are trying to follow. So there is one tool called Percival, and this is this is part of the data gathering process. So one of our goals was to have a tool that uh, allow everyone to simply avoid all of the burdens related to data gathering process. So you know you run Percival, and then what you have is a JSON document. Okay, with or several JSON documents depending on the hits that you are trying to do. So it doesn't matter if this is a Git repository, if this is GitHub API, if this is GitLab or Garrett. What you have is a JSON document, and then it has the original, you know, data source structure. But then you know that you can forget about all of that problem of gathering data. Now, what do we do with a JSON document? Okay, in the case of of Grimoire Lab, what we are doing is we we, we build what we call the raw indexes. So run our raw indexes say, and we are using open search technology. We used to have uh, Elasticsearch before they decided to move into a non-open source license. Um, and then now with open search, basically Elasticsearch database, no SQL database, what we have are indexes, uh, one index for each of the original data sources. So now what do we do with this? Um, I mentioned before the, this concept of being closer to software development analytics. So then, yes, what are the questions that end users are having? So what is, uh, from a community manager perspective, so I, I would like to know about the, uh, you know, the, the onion model, what we call the onion model, which is based on research, but basically it's about understanding who is core developer, regular developer, casual developer. Each of them are producing different percentages of activity. So it's basically about transforming the, those raw indexes into something meaningful that we can track later as the onion model. So then we can have a list of developers or participants that are defined as core developers. And then we can see their evolution over time as core developer or regular developer. Like this, there are like a um, uh, 70 plus different indexes and use cases or it's similar to metrics models. So it's, it's basically about having that. And if that's not enough, basically the the tool is uh, yeah flexible enough because basically you can produce your stuff. So going back to the question, Percival data gathering tool. Now you have an, an raw index where you have all of this information. Then Sorting Hat is a tool that is taking care of all of the identities and affiliations, all the private data we can say. 
And then uh, there is something in between called Grimoire uh, Elasticsearch Kibana, or ELK, the name is basically the old one, that is taking care of transforming all of this data into a, a closer to this software development analytics uh, layer. So this is how the data flow works in, in Grimoire Lab. Wow, that's fascinating. So I'm guessing the closer the new kid on the block is to the existing forges or, or platforms, the easier they are to integrate. The further they diverge, the trickier it becomes. Like you said, like pull request, merge request, eh, different things, by, same thing by a different name, right? Um, but if you completely diverge from that and you're like, we don't even have pull requests, you just always push straight into main. Does that matter? I would say that if there is an API, it should be easy. I mean, if there is a log or an API you can consume. Let me bring an example, Vaxilla. So Vaxilla offers an API, but offers an API like for the photo of the bug. But if you, uh, it's a bug tracking system, but if you want to go into the history, you need to do web scrubbing. So that's hard, that's a, that's painful, right? So this is, this is what ah. you would like to avoid. So those are the kind of tricky things that you need to start doing when gathering all information. And I, I think, so for example, when you're using one of the prominent forges like GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket uh, at an enterprise level, you're probably in a hosted situation where you're going to have the most current version of the API. Some of the older projects that use Garrett, for example, are self-hosting. They're on varying versions. And so you cannot trust that the version of the API is going to be what you code it to. You have to accommodate a dozen versions of an API. So Garrett becomes much more of a custom software development job when you're trying to use chaos tools or really any other tools, because that, that mapping, it, someone's going to have to do that work if it's an old version. Yeah, this has happened to us uh, when providing the service for uh, uh, Garrett, uh, for Fabricator, but I think it's not even maintained nowadays, and for uh, Axil as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know the whole thing about backwards compatibility and all that fun stuff and people's, especially in enterprise, right? Like, I mean, um, I think SAML has got the same problems where, you know, like most new things you would use uh, WebAuthn or they'd use OAuth2 or they'd use OpenID Connect, but then a lot of enterprises would still be SAML and then SAML2 is the latest, but there might be SAML 1.1. And so you have all these little differences that, that can throw a big spanner in the works. Yeah, and, and don't put everything, let, let, let not, let's not put everything on open source because basically my experience with enterprises, organizations is that they have a full variety of services running internally. Oh, we have three GitHub on-prem, and then we have this GitHub SaaS version, and then we have this GitLab and three Jiras. And this is like this, literally. So then you need to have a way to, to aggregate all of this information into one place, which is a bit of a, okay. So one of my favorite things about working on open source software is that you really can't predict how people are going to use your software. I'm curious if either of That's you true. have any examples of ways that you've seen people using your chaos software in maybe interesting ways that you hadn't expected or just doing something, maybe just doing something really cool with the software. In the case of Augur, there was a, an organization that wanted to understand their software dependencies. And we, we put in analysis of dependencies to calculate the Libier metric that chaos generated. And the intention and our, our view of it was that this would be useful for a project to understand their stuff. And we had an OSPO deploy Augur and then query across all of the projects that they had in their OSPO, which was like 11,000, so that they could understand which dependencies across that whole universe were at the greatest risk across that whole universe. So instead of looking at a single project, they were looking at a portfolio. That's great. I never, and I talk about that frequently, but it wasn't our idea. We didn't think about that when we built that functionality. That was an organization looking at what we had and deciding to apply it in that really cool and interesting way. In, in, in our case, I would say that uh, one of the very last problems that someone put on the table was, hey, we have, I, 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 I'm, I'm 
almost mentioned this, we have all of these JIRAs in, in the organization. We don't have a way to have an aggregated view of all of them and all the ticketing activity that is happening. So we need someone or a tool basically to aggregate all of this information and give us information from you know a more holistic approach. So that way of thinking was mainly, we can say, for management interface, but we never thought of that. I mean, we were thinking about development analytics, right? People producing code, we are now thinking on on this more management interface and aggregated information. So that was, you know, uh, surprising, we can say. I think that's fascinating. And I think that is that is a problem that is often faced in open source and by OSPOs and, you know, just maintainers in general is tracking the invisible work. So, you know, people... Like it's easy to count lines of code added or removed or dependencies updated, that kind of stuff. But there's the community day-to-day -day stuff that happens, right? It's it's the conversations that happens in issues, conversations that happens in pull requests, conversations that happen that happens in discussions, for example, on GitHub. And these things are all important because sometimes they lead to big changes, they they highlight problems that one didn't know exists. And then there's other stuff like just project management, planning a roadmap, that kind of stuff. So um, I remember when I was still at Mozilla and on the MDN project, that is something we found incredibly hard is how do we surface all this invisible work that, that is non-obvious, but that takes up a lot of your time because people will say like, why are you not doing more? And it's like, because you don't see 80% of what I do. <laughs> why are you not doing more is always a motivating comment. I <laughs> What do you think is a motivating comment? <laughs> That's something we can discuss. You know, and it's something that we we actually think a lot about within within the Chaos Project because um, our software is great. It you know it captures lots of stuff happening within within open source communities. But like Spilk says, there's all of this invisible work. And so one of one of the things that I really encourage people to do whenever I give presentations that have bits about metrics is is think about the stuff that you're not measuring because of the tools that you're using. So what are the community managers doing? What are the event organizers doing? What are you know, the people working on marketing and promotion and outreach? So I encourage people to think about all of this other stuff that happens out, outside of, of the traditional repository or the traditional channels. And a really good uh, article, so it was published in the ACM recently, that's called Beyond the Repository. So if you're doing research or metrics on open source software, I would encourage people to, to have a look at that paper. It's very short. It's like just like seven or eight pages, um, but it's, it gives a really interesting insight into how to think about research for open source projects and the things that things you might be missing, the ethical issues that you might not have considered. And it's uh, it was written by uh, uh, Julia Ferrioli, Amanda Casari, and uh, Juniper Lovato. And so it's, it's a really, really good article. I can link to it in the show notes. One of the things that indeed we are trying to do in chaos is to to have these two ways of working, which is one of them is a more theoretical approach, thinking purely on metrics and you know the goals that try, we are trying to achieve, like a community or uh, maybe business oriented or so. There are different working groups, for instance, the diversity and inclusion is, is one of them. Um, but then this is helping to remove the bias that you may have by bringing the technology and saying, okay, this is what I can do. So then these are the metrics that I can gather. So then this is driving my conversation into what matters. So then by having these two areas in chaos, we are able to have the discussion on metrics from a theoretical perspective. And then we are able to implement some of those, not all of them. Indeed, between you know metrics and software from both main areas, we can say, there is an intersection, but this is not, 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 not 100% supporting one one or the other but there is you know this intersection in place which is which is good i agree completely it's a really good insight daniel yeah so talking about that i mean i, I think one of the reasons why i talk about the invisible work is because you know we encourage people to to steer away from when they're talking about open source and contributing to open source to always just talk about the code avenue of contribution and talking about all the many ways there are to contribute. Some of these, even like these days, we acknowledge the fact that just talking about the project is a contribution to the project because more people know about the project and that means potentially more help comes in and whatever forms that help is needed. Um, so with all of that in mind, and I want to put a specific angle on it. If it's a, if it's too complicated, we can 
talk about it more or or we can just say well it's it's something we need to address but for right now this is what you can do how can people contribute to these two projects where is your needs and is there an easy on-ramp for entry-level folks getting into open source or just getting into tech in general that's a question if i step back yeah if i step back from the software i think the chaos project does provide an on-ramp for open source newcomers because it is a very welcoming community. And we have onboarded, I would say, well over a thousand newcomers to open source in the past year, uh, heavily centered on our Chaos Africa group, which has just been going phenomenally because of a person named Ruth Akiga. When it comes to the software, I think Chaos doesn't do a lot of software. Like if you look at all of the contributors to the chaos project, most of the contributions, most of the people who make contributions are not contributing to the software. They're contributing to the development of these metric standards, the metric models, uh, the definition of programs around DEI, programs around badging uh, and programs around some of the deployments of our software perhaps. So, so when it comes to software contributions, I think chaos has had this core at Grimoire Lab and core at Augur who have worked closely in a, in a you know, narrow community. I think Augur has like 120 contributors right now um, and Grimoire Lab, something similar, but there are many more projects, so it's harder to count. Uh, so right now, I think we're at a point in the chaos project and Daniel and I have had this discussion for a couple of years now where trying to advance the contributions to the software is something that we're very interested in. And, in terms of providing on-ramps to do that, uh, on the Augur project, we've created some first-time only, uh, first-timers only issues, and, and those have helped draw in a couple of new contributions. Uh, in our release today, we had two new contributors. So that's very slow, but it's coming along. In the case of Grimoire Lab, it's, it's kind of a very similar situation, which is, it's, I mean, we are talking about certain complexity in, in all the tool either power or, or grimoire lab and there is a process and it's the deployment and maintenance and so on so just to get up to speed takes certain time um we, we've tried and probably we failed uh different strategies into how to onboard people so for instance we said okay let's let's forget about technology and let's offer a, a dashboard that people can play with and then they can perhaps contribute dashboards because at the end in, in Grimoire Lab, what you have is a, a dashboard that you can you can build, right? Um, has not really worked. I mean, yes, we, we've had some contributions, but uh, in the same with, uh, with some of the pieces of technology, but the most of the contributions are coming for those um, uh, small pieces of uh, software that, that Grimoire Lab is producing that are doing really specific tasks. For instance, Percival, or a, a sorting hat or so on and so forth. So those are you know, the ones that are having certain contributions, but then you can think of those pieces of software as isolated tools that you can use because basically sorting hat is creating a database that you can use and add yeah, affiliations and identities and people. But then Percival is a tool that you can gather information from wherever and have a JSON document. You don't have to use this within the whole Grimoire Lab chain. So this is where I would say Grimoire Lab has been perhaps successful for a certain definition of success. For a, for a definition of the whole Grimoire Lab chain, uh, yes, there, there's a lot to do. And I mean, <laughs> advice or recommendations are more than welcome, probably coming from the community. Again, the survey run by Don is quite important, but it's about how to onboard everyone. That's, a, that's, that's still an open, an open task for us. Yeah, I would, I would echo. Yeah, same thing with Augur. We've had success and, and failure, uh, lots of runs at the yeah, growing the contributor base. Yeah, it's not an easy one, right? I mean, if, if it was easy, then all the open source projects would be phenomenal at it. it it's hard to, to think about all the different people that might want to contribute and their different levels of proficiency and understanding. And just, I mean, if you if you move from one company to another company, like that onboarding period is a significant amount of time and it takes it takes away from other people to be able to onboard that person right so you have to you have to be able to set aside those human resources in addition to having all the documentation and da 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 in place 
to get somebody onboarded to a point where they can actually contribute. You know, it's this common thing, the first 90 days or whatever, you know, it, it's rare for somebody to make a big, meaningful contribution in that period of time. And open source is not less complex. It's in some ways more complex. So, you know, it, it's understandable that it's there, but the fact that people are thinking about it and talking about it means we're at least thinking about it. And maybe this is a good transition into where where the software is going next. So what are what are the things that you're thinking about for the future, both for Augur and Grimoire Lab? Uh, for for Augur, the our roadmap includes adding additional forges. Uh, we just got a request yesterday to add Bitbucket, so that's on our roadmap. Other things that we're doing are improving our Docker Dockerization process because once we have all that ironed out and to, to accomplish the scale and volume we do, we we leverage RabbitMQ. And so just getting our Docker configuration right uh, with the queuing system and making all those parts work together and ensuring that the database does not fly away when your container goes down, making that easy for people. Uh, that's, that's something that we're working on actively right now. We're also actively redeveloping or adding to our API, as I think I mentioned earlier, because that will enable app developers from you know using a variety of technologies to plug into Augur endpoints and build their own front ends. We seen, we've seen this with a number of organizations over the years that they never even touch the Augur database. They just call the data from an API and build their own Ruby or uh, JavaScript framework applications that, that display the data the way that they want to see it, but only Augur can get it that way and present it through an API. So you know, just advancing those capabilities for folks is important. And of course, uh, we're pretty, our front end really now is the Dash Plotly front end of the 8Knot project. So just contributing to the usability and accessibility of 8Knot and making it kind of a public platform that's easier to use. It's pretty awesome actually today, but I think there are some parts of it in terms of drilling up or drilling down across projects that, that we want to advance. Yeah, in the case of, of Grimoire Lab, um, so it's interesting because Augur wants to expand data sources. We want to uh, scale, basically. Um, so then we, one of our, uh, we have two or three main areas where we would like to, to go into. Because we are using a NoSQL database, it's quite expensive from a com computing perspective to do joins with the data and so on. So then this correlation of the data needs to be pre-calculated in somehow. We want to deal with that. So then we are likely moving um, into probably SQL or Graph uh, GraphQL databases, Graph, Graph databases at some point just to allow us to, to scale and have more data correlations. That is basically easy for everyone to simply go query and then have you know this and that, of course, because then we are supporting all of these different data sources. As for instance, for the code review, we need to make sense of all of this from a, from a schema uh, perspective and then the other the other point where we would like to go is to so the tool already offers a an api through uh, open search but it's a json query process which is not yeah it's a bit um, hard to deal with we can say and for the onboarding process so we want to lower the barrier uh, for everyone and have specifically um, api access uh, events api simple you have everything we we gather no matter the um, the data source, and then offering probably a couple more APIs for a data models, for metrics models, we can call them in um, in chaos, and then just the, the kind of data that we are already uh, uh, exposing. So it's about, yeah, with an API, you are constraining the world you have, but then we would have all the flexibility coming from, from SQL. So those are kind of the two main areas where we want to, to grow the tool. Yeah, there, and there are there's like there's trade-offs that Daniel's speaking to because you know one of the people one of the things people love about Grimoire Lab right now is they can filter on anything that's that's in that dictionary. And I was on a call yesterday talking about Augur features and what we don't have, and not having that was a topic of discussion. Uh, but of course, implementing that in a relational database with custom APIs becomes a, a fairly labor-intensive process. I think that's one of the reasons we've begun developing a GraphQL API because that enables a certain amount of the same flexibility for app developers, but not, it still doesn't handle all of what Grimoire Lab does today in terms of filterability by 
basically every field in the front end. Yeah, I think I think the next months probably it's gonna be a there are gonna be more discussions between Ogor and Grumor Lab in, in the sense of what 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 can we learn from each other because we we were you know walking kind of different paths but then at some point it seems that we are kind of now uh, willing to have uh, other features so then we we I mean we can learn from each other definitely we've been learning yeah. and we learn of course absolutely and in the for a long time we have not built data sources for things like Slack or Bugzilla, because we know that if somebody really needs that, Percival already has it, and that's a chaos project. So, you know, we've sort of made the choice to not expand our data sources for the most part. The, the only data source expansion that we're talking about are Git forges that we believe we can map the metadata into our schema from. Uh, when it comes to these other data sources, I think that's a discussion where we would be expanding the relational schema and that's potentially an area where Grimoire Lab and Augur start to collaborate more closely. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's great. To, that's open source, right? Collaborate, learn from one another, make better tools. Exactly. It's the whole thing right there in a nutshell. Awesome. Okay, one of the things that we like to do to end the chaos podcast is to talk about some some value adds. These don't have to be anything about technology. It's just something that brought joy, value, or meaning to your life recently. So uh, while the others think about theirs, I will start with mine. So so for me, I, I have a window, right, that looks right into my backyard from my office. And I've been really enjoying watching the wildlife and the flowers blooming out my office window. So first thing I saw this morning was a fox dash across my yard from one side to the other. Um, out the window as I was drinking my tea. So that was that was fun. We also have a little picnic table that squirrels sit at and eat peanuts that we put on the table for them. It's a little, little squirrel-sized picnic table. Um, and right now we have daffodils and snowdrops blooming in the backyard. So that's that's my that's my day. So when you see me go like, you know, look around, peek around my monitor when you're on calls with me, that's that's what I'm doing is, is watching the wildlife. That's amazing. Uh, Skulk, why don't you give us yours? Yeah. So um I have one that I had in the dock, but then I have another one that I'll add at the end. Um, for me, it's just being able to have these conversations. Like I do three podcasts that are all tech related, but very different, but also very similar. But just being able to reach out to some people and sometimes, you know, being a little scared because it's like somebody that I look up to and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And just reaching out to them and saying, hey, would you want to talk on my little podcast? And they're like, yeah, sure. And then being able to have a conversation with somebody and just learn that that we're all just a bunch of people trying to make cool stuff, right? And do something positive in the world. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just a, an amazing experience. So, you know, being able to do this like today, collaborate with dawn and with all of you and yeah it's just it's magical and then i noticed that dawn your earrings is the chaos logo and i was like that is so cool so that's another thing that <laughs> made me smile <laughs> that, that is true i i realized that i could make earrings into the chaos logo and then what i realized last week while i was at state of OpenCon is that i could also make open uk earrings out of the open uk logo so I have both chaos earrings and open UK earrings. So my, my, uh, I think the value add that I brought to chaos con was giving people uh, a few pairs of chaos earrings. So I, I spread the love a little bit. I, I gave away maybe, maybe eight pairs of earrings, I think. Awesome. Yeah. And thank you for that. Indeed. So, and talking about chaos con, that that's basically my highlight for today. So it was, uh, yeah, 10, 10 years ago or so that we, we all met in Brussels, so it was great seeing everyone and meeting, you know, well, Don and Son, meeting you there and many others. Skalk, maybe you should come next year. Um, who knows? Um, but it's it's a great place for having these discussions. The community is growing. Um, the place was spectacular, I can say. Um, conversations were really great, uh, illustrative, and I, I learned a lot. Um, so that, that's a really good experience. So, it's good to see you all. And my value, my value add is that for the last year, I have had a front row seat to a shifting in the American zeitgeist living in Missouri. I have sat and watched as Taylor Swift uh, 
has taken over the entire American culture in a way that has no precedent that I can tell. The Super Bowl she was at is the second most watched television program in the history of the globe. The only television program more people tuned into was the moon landing. So I've had a front row seat to living in Missouri where her, her boyfriend plays football and just won the Super Bowl. For those of you across the globe, that's an American football thing you might have heard of. Uh, that's it's just been it's just been kind of wild. You know, my daughters watch football with me now. This never happened before. American football. It's just completely altered the landscape of American culture in ways that I couldn't have ever predicted. So that's my value add. Taylor See, Swift. She even made it into a podcast about open source. Yeah. She's everywhere, man. She is taking exactly. over the world, clearly. <laughs> Evidence right here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We uh, So thank you, everyone, for joining us, our listeners as well. We hope you enjoyed this episode. So until next time, we'll see you around the chaos community. And yeah, and that's that's about it. Thanks so much, folks. Um, I can't <laughs> wait to share this episode with everybody. Everybody can learn about these amazing projects and about the chaos community. Um, I think this is all amazing work, and I am just glad to be a little part of it. We're glad to be here with you.